Welcome to the Reframing Eye Care Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Maria Sampalis. Today, I have the pleasure of Dr. of Dr. Philip uh, Rainey. He's a Costco's leaseholder in Idaho. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I met Dr. Rainey at a J&J dinner recently, and I was really impressed. And I wanted him on the podcast to talk about his experience um, in a retail setting, but also his interests in contact lenses, myopia control, ocular nutrition, and uh, dry eye disease. He has practiced the medical model in, in um, Costco's and has has successful um, leaseholder and is a speaker in the industry. So welcome to the podcast again. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Tell us about your journey in optometry. So I originally got involved in optometry because when I was a high school student, I thought I was going to be an oral surgeon and I always wanted to do cleft lip repairs. I lived by a retired oral surgeon. He had a grandson that lived with him and his grandson was one of my best friends. He and uh, I should say I and that retired surgeon talked about his cases all the time. I thought it was fascinating. Then I went to college and I donated blood for the first time as a college freshman and just the bags of blood hanging out grossed me out. I did not know that about myself. And I went, oh, I need to find something in optometry or something in in medicine that does not have any blood and guts. And I looked around and like a lot of other individuals, I was nearsighted, wore contact lenses, got kind of fascinated with that and kind of pursued it. That's how I got into optometry in general. I went to Pacific University. I live in the Boise area. And in the grand scheme of things, I came out, I've practiced in quite a few different models in corporate optometry. I owned a practice for three years. I've practiced in um, gels uh, for about a year. I've done some coverage. I do a little bit of speaking for J&J for contact lenses, but I recently started uh, uh, back to school and I've been working on a master's degree in public health just because I think it's kind of fascinating. I do volunteer a little bit of time for, I'm a volunteer COPE reviewer, for example, and I'm involved with the Idaho optometric physicians in some of the legislative committees that they've done. I have not done a ton of that for the last year as I've been back in school, but I did spend about five or seven years on one of the committees for that, that interacted with the legislator, legislature. So, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Can you tell us what attracted you to Costco's and becoming a leaseholder? So originally when I was starting a private office, I needed to, like a lot of other people that started cold, I needed a way to pay my bills. And I went and found a Costco that was about a dozen or 15 miles away from where I'd started a private office. And the leaseholder at that time was kind enough to say, yeah, I need some extra help. Come work with me two or three days a week. And that's what was paying my living expenses while my fresh start uh, optometry office was going on. And I found out that I actually really liked the business model. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it enough that the other office was sold and I ended up working full time at a Costco. It's streamlined. I don't have to worry about did the alarms get set? Did the toilet paper get ordered? I didn't like that aspect of private office optometry, but I really like being able to practice primarily optometry and work with however I want to work. If you want to do in corporate settings, at least in Costco settings, if you want to do myopia control, we do, we can. If you wanted to do um, glaucoma care, you can. We choose not to. We have an OCT and we have some other stuff. 
myself and my associates don't like glaucoma, so we don't do it, but I know other Costco optometrists that do. And so it kind of just depends on your own interests. And I like that flexibility to concentrate on patient-based care and not worry about the other things that go into vision care in general. Yeah. You know, one of the big misconceptions in the industry is that corporate optometrists don't do medical. And I recently found out there was some data on Medicare website that only 29% of ODs do visual fields. So, and then 4% prescribe glaucoma drops. So we are not the only doctors in the, in optometry that don't treat or don't on medical model. A lot of private practices do not. And it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, this misconceptions out there because there's a lot of great corporate ODs that practice medical, do what they love. There's, if you want myopia management, contacts, glaucoma, whatever the case is, it's there. So it's unfortunate that other people are, are, are putting out that information that don't even work in the setting. And especially when the data is so astonishing, that, that kind of information out there. Tell us what kind of equipment that you have and what operations look like on a day-to-day -day basis at your at least. So you can see I'm actually at work uh, just before we see patients. One of the things that I like about Costco, and I don't know how other retail or corporate affiliated practices work. This is a blend of what Costco owns and what I bring to the practice as far as materials and equipment. So we have all electronic foropters. Uh, we use Nidex slash Marco TRS 6100s, which are the new version of those. Costco in my situation supplies an Optimap and Optos in a Daytona form that's linked to everything. I bring the computers. I purchased an OCT that we use. We have a rebound eye care tonometer that we use. And then we also, in my situation, uh, anything else that you want to bring in, you can. We have a visual field. I personally don't like the visual field that, that Costco provided. So I'm looking into getting one of the virtual reality-ish headset versions of that. I'll probably end up getting it hopefully this year if I can make the finances work out. And then anything else that you really want, obviously we have all of the little tiny, not necessarily technology, but if you want to do foreign body removals, I've got all of the algae brushes. And if you want to do any of the other stuff uh, that goes along with pretty much whatever you want. Idaho, we're fortunate enough that we have our legislative body has given us an opportunity to have lumps and bumps removal. I don't do that here. I don't have enough of an option. I don't have enough space really to hold that, a lot of that. But in Idaho, it's fairly common to do as much as you really want to. And that applies to a corporate office as well. Um, one of my optometry colleagues down the road has a practice that focuses on only dry eye and glaucoma. He's an OD that spent about 10 years in an ophthalmology office and then went out on his own. So he doesn't have a dispensary, doesn't do any contact lens fitting. His is 100% medical. So a lot of the stuff that I don't want to do, we end up sending to him and keep it within the family if you want to talk about that. If patients aren't needing surgery, then we don't tend to send them to the surgeon's office. So tell us about, is it still a self-pay model at Costco? A lot of doctors like that option uh, that they don't take a lot of insurances. I don't take, and that varies according to what you want to do. Costco does not, at least in my part of the country, lean on you at all to take one or the other. And the only insurance that I take is the insurance that the Costco employees themselves have. Everything else for me is self-pay slash cash pay. And at the very end of the day, I get paid for that. The good part about that is 
you don't have to wait for insurance. You don't have to rebuild something if it gets rejected. We do lose some patients because of that, but many of them come back and say it's just easier. And we obviously have all the paperwork and itemized receipt that if they want to self-submit to their own insurance, they can. One of the other things that I really like about Costco specifically is it's self-selected for an upper tier uh, income wise of a patient base. So the patients that I see tend to be a little bit more affluent because they're Costco members, which means they have a little bit more money to spend on a, a membership for a warehouse and some other things like that. And it can be stressful if you're in an optometry situation and you tell a patient, by the way, you have X, Y, or Z, whether it's cataracts or glaucoma, and I think we need to have some surgical options for you. And if they turn around and tell you, I, I don't have money for that, I don't wanna do that. And you think about, oh, I can write you letters or I can, I can help you get all of those things, great. At a Costco model, I rarely run into that. People will come in and say, and I'll tell somewhere between two and five people per week, you have cataracts, I'm going to send you out for a cataract consultation with a surgeon. And I might get some grumbling about, well, what's this going to cost me? But very rarely does ever, anybody in this particular model go, oh, I don't have money for that. So that's one of the things that I actually really like about Costco is I don't have that added layer of stress of trying to figure out how to get somebody taken care of because they're not insured or they're not capable of paying for some of the care that they probably need. Yeah. So it seems like the business model with affluent, so you're not the cheapest eye exam in the area, right? So patients no. value your exam, what, what they're getting, they're getting the highest level of care. And then how often do you see patients or is it every 20 minutes or is Costco's, you know, dictating volume, patients per hour, walk-ins? No, Costco doesn't dictate any volume. Costco doesn't take dictate anything to me. I've had a lease for uh, going on three years now, and they're very easy to work with. Obviously, if you're not seeing enough individuals, and that's kind of hard to quantify, they're going to work with you. I know of some leaseholders that have had their lease taken away, very, very few, because they weren't willing to see the volume that was needed. They felt like they were very busy seeing 10 patients a day, and bluntly, that's not going to cut it. If you've been in some of the newer Costco's, the building that I'm in it was built less than three years ago. I have three lanes. I see with our current level of volume, I work four days a week. I see patients every 20 minutes. I'll see four in a row. I'll have a 20 minute break for walk-ins, office visits, RX checks, contact lens dispense checks. Then I'll see a block of four patients again, and then I'll do office visits. So I'll see eight exams and two to three follow-ups or office visits in the morning and then eight exams in the afternoon and that same thing. So I'm usually seeing somewhere, um, if everybody shows up, I will usually see 16 to 17 exams per day and somewhere in the neighborhood of one to four follow-ups. So I'll see 20, 22 patient encounters per day. Currently, because we're not at full capacity, I work four days a week. I have a full-time associate that works four days a week and we alternate. So I work Monday through Thursday on one week and then Wednesday through Saturday on the following week and then Monday through Thursday, Wednesday through Saturday. And, and my associate and I um, tag team that. So we're both here on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And then we have another part-time doctor that works Mondays and Tuesdays with us. So I do it and 
Costco doesn't dictate that. We just kind of work it out amongst ourselves, amongst the practitioners. So I have a one day, five day, one day, five day weekend, depending on how that alternates. And that allows a lot of time off. I like that. No, that's great. And and you have two exam lanes. Is that correct? Three. Three. Excellent. So you, yep. you have you have enough you have enough room to see multiple 20 patients a day is not a lot per doctor. It right? is not. And you have you have a tech and and it's and you have an extra do- doctor there too to help support the volume to take the walk in. So yep. you know, they give you the tools, the resources to be able to accomplish that volume. It's not one exam lane, no tech. I mean, there is support and you figured it out to use technology to your efficiency to, to, to do that. And in my model, and I think this is probably Costco across the United States, the tech is my employee, right? So I have to hire those individuals. So I have, we have a total of three doctors that work with us. I consider for the doctors, I consider four days a week full-time. So we have two full-time doctors and then one part-time doc. And then I have five staff members. I have an office manager uh, that does some of our teching and does the schedules and takes care of all of the stuff that happens. And then I have a total of five or six employees um, that go along with that. And for me, I hire them. They, I, I feel like I pay them well. I provide their medical insurance. So I know other places, sometimes the techs are provided by corporate itself, but I do all of that for my own specific office. I shouldn't say I do it. My office manager does it. Your office manager does a lot of that. Yeah. So I found that my experience hiring your own staff in corporate optometry, it's to your benefit and get them to do what you want, how you want. It's, it's, it's just easier. I think there, there are some, you know, doctors that have that option through their rent. Um, And that's fine if you don't want to deal with that. But I think if you have a busy practice, then if you hire your own staff, you can kind of dictate how you want things done. And, mm-hmm. and it's just easier. They're more loyal to you as has been my experience. And you can do some other creative things about being able to reward them. And you can go out uh, every June. We usually do something with the office for all of the families. We'll go bowling. We're going to go probably race go-karts here next month uh, or two months from now. I usually try to give my staff something to look forward to. I give them a, uh, some sort of gift, um, sunglasses. This is a specific style of headphone called a, a shocks. This has got the boom mic on it for these types of things, but there are other versions for this that every one of my staff got a set of, of headphones one year. And just being able to have it more of a close knit organization allows a lot of, of growth opportunities. I think people work harder when they're happier at work and having that be able to have us control that work environment, hopefully in the positive aspect makes for a, a better work environment and makes us more productive. Um, for us, we, I have a six day lease and that's in my contract. So we're open Monday through Saturday. We currently have clinical hours, 10 to six. I stopped seeing patients at about five. Most of that probably has to do with the volume that we're seeing. As we get busier, I'll probably end up working an additional hour or two into the evening as that, as our volume dictates it, but we still have room to grow quite a bit for where we are right now. No, that's great. Yeah. I mean, if there's room to grow, you, you take advantage of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, one of the one of the focuses for me with the corporate optometry group is to get more corporate ODs as speakers, to get more exposure for doctors. And, and you know, I think that's one of the you know, DEI has been a big initiative in the industry. And I think corporate ODs have been uh, overlooked, unfortunately. 
Now you are a speaker for J and J. Can you tell us about that? And, you know, for someone that wants to be a speaker, how do they go about doing that? And how do they kind of get over maybe the fear of public speaking in the industry? I'll be able to answer the first ones. The second one, I don't know if I'll be able to answer because I don't have any public speaking fear. It, I never have. It's not me. And But if you made me try to get up and sing in front of an audience, I would be mortified because that <laughs> terrifies me because I can't sing. But I got into be a J&J speaker primarily because I love contact lens technology. I'm a nerdy individual. I like reading some of the studies. It's this sounds bad, but it's so exciting when new studies come out and you get to go, oh, I get to learn something about that. I really like that aspect of optometry. So when I first started to think about, oh, I think I would like to go and speak about this, I approached my J&J rep because I really like J&J products. I'm not here as a J&J speaker for this, but I like their products. That's what I've used for a long time. So I went and talked to my rep and said, if you guys ever have an opening on your speaker's program, I would like to be considered for that position. And about four and a half years ago, five years ago, they came back to me and I'd asked for a number of years, hey, whenever you guys need, I would like to be considered for this. They came back for, to me and said, hey, well, we want you to come and consider doing this. And they let me go do a single event without a whole lot of prep. I didn't get a lot of feedback on it. To be very blunt, it was not very good on my part. I was brand new at it and I'm like, I don't know, we'll go do this. Kindly, they let me continue and help me train and I'm getting better at it, but I enjoy that aspect of it. I enjoy the science behind it. I Some of the people on our j, j Speakers Bureau like the science, but really love to get out and make those personal connections with the optometrists that they interact with. I enjoy that, but I like getting out and teaching individuals. So for me, I actually just asked. It took a long time, but I just asked. That's correct. You have to kind of just get out there. They don't they don't know who wants to be a speaker. And it's great that J&J is encouraging corporate ODs to speak. And, and it's changing in the industry. We're starting to see some corporate ODs on advisory boards and pharma and contacts and things like that. So that's been that's been a great um, addition to the industry. But just ask. And if for anyone that listened to this podcast wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to open a door. I'm happy to give some advice. Um, on that as well, because I've done that. And again, I've done it. I think I've embarrassed myself a few times speaking, <laughs> but you know what? It just, the next time, the next time it can't be as bad as the first time. So, and people forget. So you just keep going and you, you learn from it and everybody needs practice. And some of these corporations do train you. A lot of them do actually train you on it. And it's just getting comfortable with the material. And a lot of doctors are going to be positive at the dinners right you know um and jj does a lot of training i just happened to come on midstream so to speak where they went oh we won't wait, make you wait till the next training that we do so i have a, a corporate training here in two or three weeks we usually do one of ours annually where all of the people that speak for optometry get together and they'll bring in outside public speaking coaches and do all of that so i've had several of those since but I, I personally had appreciated that they did not make, make me wait until the next time that they were doing a large speaking event to bring me on. They just kind of let me stumble through the first couple of events and then took it from there and talked about how to improve. Of course, yeah. You know, I think being an active participant in the, in the industry, especially with being a, a member of AOA, is very important. 
and you're you know member and you're active in your local society. Tell me why you think that it's very important for corporate ODs to get involved either locally or nationally with the AOA. I think it's important for people to be involved in their profession, no matter what they do. I like being involved with our local society and with the national society for the AOA because it makes me feel like I'm contributing to what a fantastic profession not only is, but what it can potentially be in the future. I think it's challenging not to be involved. There's different hats that you can wear if you want to be involved, but the way to make a difference for our patients and our profession is to actually be part of the boots on the ground. And I enjoy that part of it. Yeah, I think it's very important. I've started getting more involved uh, with the AOA and trying to uh, promote their initiatives in the Facebook group. I think it's very important. I think corporate ODs are underrepresented, um, not members. And I think they should be members. I think if they listen to this podcast, you know, they should become a member, try to get involved. Um, You know, you have, you know, certain situations that are specific to corporate ODs. And I think if you, you know, are a member, you're able to provide your voice and give that opinion as well. Because if they if they don't know, they don't have, they have nothing to, you know, um, react to it. So I think it's very important that a lot of corporate ODs do get involved with the AOA and help uh, propel our profession forward. So I want to thank you, Dr. Rainey, for coming on the podcast today. It's uh, it's been a pleasure having you on and. Thank you for your insights on Costco and, and what you're doing for the profession and, um, you know, starving, uh, bringing the, the, the path forward for uh, other corporate ODs to be speakers in the industry. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.